and welcome to a very special episode of 941. My name is Andy, and I'll be the host of the 941 podcast. This is our very first episode. We figured we would do something special for this episode, so we recorded an interview with the one and only John Prosser of Front Page Tech. This has only been lightly edited as we wanted to give you the full interview, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This one's for you, Toilet Squad. All right, John, Apple's expected um, to drop uh, a bunch of stuff this year. A um, couple things, at least. A couple things. Now, Apple's expected to drop a couple things in 2020 as well, so I feel like that word is kind of used pretty <laughs> loosely nowadays right. when we say Apple's expected to. Um, Ming-Chi Kuo says we can expect AirTags. Now, honestly, what the hell is going on with AirTags? Because it feels like Apple just has them ready, and it just it's whenever Tim Cook wakes up and it's like, today's the day. Like, yeah. When are we getting them? It feels mythical. It's like air power, except we might actually get it. Yeah, so a part of me feels like, you know how when, um, what was it, AirPods, which one, I think it was AirPods Pro or something uh, on the packaging, The you know how the bottom of the package has like the copyright label? Mm-hmm. I think it was AirPods Pro. I think AirPods Pro came with the copyright label of the previous year because they had been made the previous year. They just hadn't shipped. I feel like it'll be the same thing with AirTags. Like we'll we'll get them and see like that they were actually manufactured the year before because they've been done. They've been just sort of chilling and I would assume it's because of the pandemic probably and um if that's the case, uh we'll be getting them this year from what I was told. I was told spring um and so i guess that puts us in line with march if they're if they have an event then uh which i would imagine they do i mean last i was told was i believe march 16th for an event um so if we get them i would assume that we get them at an event i think that it would be kind of weird if apple did it in a press release because these are something that it's a completely new product category for Apple, and I feel like they want to be on stage to sort of explain it and present it the way that only Apple will, you know, magical and mystical. A part of me agrees with that, but a part of me also feels like they're just completely overrated. Like, Samsung just came out with their smart things copy of AirTags, mm-hmm. pretty much. And it just seems overrated. I don't know, like, maybe it's just because it's the first gen I'm so excited about it. I see that a lot in, in my comments and on and on Twitter that people are like, "Why are you so excited?" Uh, I I feel like I think the just the pure technology that's in them is exciting to me. Like the UWB stuff is super super important, and the accuracy of these is absolutely crazy. And how they work uh, among like the um, the Apple ecosystem and network, the Find My network. Um, I think when I talked about them on the show, when I showed the design for the first time, one of the things that I mentioned was uh, just a weird use case that, you know, hopefully many of us won't need, but kidnapping. Um, just having an air tag on you if you're kidnapped will be able to track your location like down to the centimeter. It's so accurate. It's not like, you know, it's not um, it's not like other Bluetooth trackers uh the the purely run off of bluetooth and that's it these are bluetooth le and uwb um and because of that not only can you track something down to the to the centimeter that's how accurate it is but within the new find my app it'll also work in an ar space so in the find my app on your iphone you'll be able to see something in ar like 
let's say you lose your remote or something that has an AirTag attached to it, you'll be able to open the Find My app and point your phone. It'll open up the camera and it'll point and show you in the room where the item is. Same thing if you're out and about. Um, And of course, if you lose them, which is sort of the point, uh, if they're at a restaurant or something, again, down to the centimeter, and because it's always pinging off of iPhones that are near it or Apple products that are near it, you have the most accurate, recent, precise location. Uh, I don't I don't understand why people don't see the, the, the coolness of that or why that would be extremely useful. Just from a techno- technological standpoint, it's absolutely incredible. Do you think that people, especially in the Apple community, really focus more on sort of the the perception of tech rather than the actual tech yes if that makes sense because you, you just talked about bluetooth and uwb and i'm pretty sure if you were to tweet that out people would be much more interested in in something else more sort of um realistic rather than sort of the technical aspect have you noticed that within the the community yeah so i think that I think nerds and the people you know that are probably listening to this the people that follow us on twitter they are a product like AirTags probably seems limited to them because it's almost like one-dimensional, one-use case, and for some reason, I, I feel like unless it has a screen on it and connects to the internet, that like they just can't comprehend how it would be implemented in their life. I don't know why people are limited in that way. I feel like unless it's got you know like eight gigs of RAM. We have no cares for it, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, me neither. I think people are just people have sort of lost respect for tech, and they just focus more on perception and status and class. Right. This is one of those. This is one of those things where people are talking in the comments about how no one's going to buy it. It's not going to sell. No one's going to use it. <laughs> and then in a couple of years, you know, when, once it's out, we'll truly see how important these were. And I think that the people that um, that are not excited about this or think that it's it's useless and no one's going to buy it. I think your perception of it will change when you see Apple present them on stage cuz you know people like us you and I can explain these all we want but um obviously Apple has a compl- Apple can sell anything to you. They can polish a turd and you know put music <laughs> behind it and we'll we'll love it. We'll be all over it. So I think I think a lot of the perception of AirTags will change once Apple sort of gets the opportunity to introduce them the way they wanted to. So you said that they, because these have been ready, as you said, what stopped them from releasing them at the iPhone 12 event? Because it almost felt like they could have definitely shortened some of the parts about the iPhone 12 and, yeah. and stuck it in at the end. And especially with the launch of the HomePod Mini, it kind of made sense to me, at least, you know, with especially with, you know, that whole keynote had that scene in the house right um, it kind of felt like that was maybe meant for air tags you know showing how you lose your remote in between the cushions and the couch or something mm-hmm. it seemed very much possible to release them then was there a specific reason why they didn't as far i mean as far as i know they could have they could have you know since the october event uh I'm just not I think I I honestly think it's completely related to the pandemic because I know it wasn't production issues. I know, you know, that's the stuff that I follow really closely and there hasn't been any issues with production with AirTags. I mean, we behind the scenes there was a lot of issues with stuff like AirPods Max, but AirTags never had an issue like that or you know, AirPower had a lot of issues behind the scenes, but AirTags never had issues like that. 
I can only assume it's related to the pandemic and stuff like that. I mean, I reported, I believe in November, maybe earlier, that there would be software support for AirTags coming in iOS 14.3. 14.3 came out, and at first, like people were like, well, there's no AirTags, and there's no AirTag support in the software. But then 9to5Mac reported that they found AirTag support like buried into the software. And more recently, I think last week, you know, you found that, what was it? It was like the secret like string of characters, like find my items that you could type mm -hmm. in a Safari and would open up like a, a secret screen in the Find My app. So obviously, uh, it was like borderline, they were getting ready to release it. And for some reason, it was pulled last minute and they sort of just like buried stuff in software. So it didn't like, I don't know, so it didn't leak out or so you couldn't find it on the surface. I'm not sure. But obviously, they got really, really close to release. Not sure why they pulled back on it. What's going to be the next AirTags in, in AirPods Studio or AirPods Max? Because if we were to do this interview two months ago before AirPods uh, Max came out, the whole interview would have just probably been about the AirPods Max because we've been <laughs> talking about them for, for ages and we finally got them. Right. Is Apple Glasses the next AirTags? Absolutely. Um, In terms so, of like the, the new cycle and, and just the drama around it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think I think that would happen with any new product category that Apple's about to enter. But, I mean, do you remember before the Apple Watch was introduced, like all the hype around the iWatch, like Apple's finally going to introduce a smartwatch? Mm -hmm. um, I think every time they enter a product category like that, you know, the news cycle is dominated by that. And as we get closer to Apple Glasses, I think right now... It's in the news cycle for sure, but the concept of them seems so foreign and people don't know how to write about it or explain it. Um, as we get closer to the release of those, I think um, you'll see that. I think you'll see the news cycle even more dominated by that, uh, depending on if we get um, sort of an, an AR VR product first before Apple Glass, uh, which I would assume would happen. I think um, even Quo stated that either later this year or early next year, we're getting like a headset, that's an AR VR headset, which is not the same as Apple Glass. They are two separate things. So how, that was my next question. So yeah, Quo does, ha, Quo said an AR slash VR device this year. I think a lot uh, of yeah. people don't realize that Apple's actually working on two separate AR and VR devices. I think people just think it's Apple Glasses and that's it. Yeah, that's important to note. Uh, it, those are not the same things. Like, I think people read that in the headline and they assume those are the AR glasses. It's not. This is like a full-on uh, headset, like what you would expect with Oculus or HTC Vive. So is that, are they going to blend that into, is that going to be the new product category of which Apple Glasses will then be under? Or is this going to be a whole class of its own and then Apple Glasses? I think it'll be separate. I feel like um, the AR VR headset will be more for enthusiasts uh, and gamers and stuff like that. And then Apple Glass will be more um, promoted towards the mainstream, just like, you know, the regular everyday consumers, people that are buying iPhones all the time. So what do you think we'll expect seeing first? I would, I would guess the AR VR headset first, um, and then Apple Glass in 2022 or 2023. Now, when you say VR, that immediately rings like gaming to me. Like the first thing that comes to mind is yep. gaming. So speaking of gaming, Apple TV. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but um, there was all this hype <laughs> about a new Apple TV um, uh -huh. coming out by one um, special joking account, Joker account, as I like to call them. 
to be fair, did I ever send you the pictures of the new Apple TV? <laughs> Sounds about right. I feel like I like earlier 2020. Did I send you pictures of an Apple TV? Uh, you you might have. I, I really don't I'll look. Remember. I'll look for it. But it's okay. been. I've had pictures of the new Apple TV since the beginning of 2020. It's been done for. It's been sitting. The new Apple TV has been sitting um, on just like the tables of engineers, like at home, for well over a year. It's just been done and chilling there. Um, it's called Project Neptune. That's the like the code name behind the scenes. Uh, A12x more focused on opening up the possibilities for gaming. I would assume that the AR VR headset could be implemented there and work from that uh, and maybe have a more gaming focus, especially if you have the newer Apple TV. But as far as a release, um, I think towards the end of 2020, people were people were getting excited for an Apple TV. And then, of course, you had that one account saying that, that it was going to drop in, in December. Um, and I, I went on record saying there was not going to be an Apple TV for 2020, that if you wanted one, you'd have to wait till 2021. I'm not sure when we'll get it. Um, I wish I could tell you, but again, I've had pictures of it for a year now, and <laughs> Apple hasn't shipped them, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the holdup there is. Maybe they do want to time it up better with this ARVR headset and sort of talk about them in the same event because they could work in conjunction. Um, other than that, though, uh, it looks the same. There's going to be uh, a new remote that goes with it, but the actual like hardware, the box itself. That sits on your TV stand looks the same. You've mentioned a lot of times that Apple has products ready to go. You said that for AirTags, kind of saying the same thing for Apple TV. My question as as a journalist, and I think probably as even regular people listening to this, what does it actually mean when, when you say that Apple like has them ready to go? Like, Is there like a press release drafted up on Apple server? No. And, then, and just one ready guy presses the publish button and, and we get it? <laughs> no. What's it actually mean when something is ready to go when i say ready to go or ready to ship that generally means mass production has ended um okay. meaning that somewhere you know they have just boxes of this stuff just sitting um it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a press release ready to go or anything like that when when it's ready to ship i mean physically like it's done and ready to ship okay because so i always thought just someone gets an email in the press department that's like yo press get up this early and press the publish <laughs> button that's yeah the, no it just means that physically the products are ready to go okay mac um last week when we're recording this um bloomberg and ming chi kuo just dropped absolute bombshells of uh, information about these new macs mm -hmm. you've been rather quiet on um apple silicon mac um you haven't said much about them in in fapata yeah, I don't, I don't think I've really ever talked about it. I mean, I uh, I leaked when the new MacBook was dropping and when the new iMac was dropping. But mm -hmm. in terms of... I guess I... Uh, when the iMac was coming out, I said... I think it was coming out... August, I can't remember the date, but I think it was August 7th and that there was not going to be a redesign. But other than that, I don't go into, um, into many details. I don't have... A lot of my sources are in uh, in mobile and accessories. And so... I have I have sources in marketing and in press, so when products get closer release, like an iMac or like a MacBook, I'll drop information. But in terms of like deep down supply chain for Mac stuff, uh, I don't normally talk about that. Okay, well, not based off of what you know, just your your personal opinion. Um, are you excited for Apple Silicon? Oh yeah, absolutely. 
I think it's a game changer. Um, even just, you know, the first gen, I think, is a game changer. So as we start to see that develop through the second and third year, I think the third year will, will be crazy. I think we'll get a huge jump in the second year. But the third year, once they have a chance to refine everything, it'll be crazy. And I'm really excited for um, the M-series Mac Pros. Yeah, it's crazy. If you think, like, the M1 is the worst Apple Silicon Apple has ever made, and yet right. it's still the best one. Yeah. It's kind of impressive that it took them this long. <laughs> it, it's impressive, but at the same time, it, yeah, I guess just impressive. I was about to say concerning, but just impressive. Yeah. So just based off of your personal opinion, Touch Bar, going or staying? Oh, that, I mean, from, I think Quo and, and German both reported that it's, that it's going away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I knew, uh, none of the prototypes included a touch bar. So uh, it was kind of obvious that it was going away. And it must have been like high up on a priority list for Apple that it, none of the prototypes included the touch bar. So as soon as they started talking about the new Mac Pros, it must have been that must have been the first thing on the list. Like, OK, no more touch. It's bar. weird because we're expected to get no touch bar. We're expected to get a return of MagSafe. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like Apple's going back in time. Yeah, I feel I feel like they're listening. I feel like, uh, I mean, people were upset when MagSafe went away. People were upset about the Touch Bar. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like a lot lately, people, Apple's just being more receptive to what they hear uh, from customers and and people online, especially when it comes to the Mac stuff. I mean, with with iPhone uh, and mainstream consumer products, it's like Apple sort of showing you what you need and what you want. But in terms of Mac, those are the that's more enthusiast side. So Apple's more inclined to to deliver products that you know after they've heard feedback and stuff like that, they want to meet the needs of those customers. Um, and I think the Mac is a great place to do that to listen to customers and make changes that uh, make the products more appealing to those enthusiasts because it's people that a lot of times those people are upgrading every time, you know, the new product comes out. I, I know there's a lot of users that, you know, will still have like a 2016 MacBook Pro or something and they wait to upgrade. But for for a lot of the consumers, enthusiast consumers, you know, every time a new MacBook Pro gets an update, you know, they'll jump on and buy it. So I think uh, implementing these changes and listening to the customers is going gonna, is gonna to be a really good look for them. Do you think that because to me, when a, when a company starts listening to its customers, that starts like ringing alarm bells for me. Because App, it, it, it almost feels like Apple's realizing they're, they're facing possibly more fierce competition. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know. That's just the way I look at it, especially not only with tech, but with really any company. I mean, once you start to listen to feedback, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's kind of telling in a way. Because they're almost like, oh, well, maybe, you know, we actually are losing our base, which I'm not saying they are, but maybe they're, they're concerned that they are. So they're like, mm -hmm. we got to start actually maybe doing what people want us to do instead of what we think is more, you know, applicable to us long term. Yeah. I'm curious to see what, what, their, what their newer version of MagSafe on the Macs look like. But as far as like the touch bar, there's a couple benefits. Number one, it, it appears as though they listen to customers because that were annoyed by the touch bar. But also, it's cheaper to manufacture as well without including the touch bar. Yeah, but I, I doubt the price will be any lower. It might be. I mean, but... uh, you, you, know, uh, you know how far Apple goes out of the way to save a few pennies. I mean, they got rid of the the charger the adapter in the box which what was like two pennies for them and they and then they you know they were like oh save the environment but we all know 
that for yeah. them it was worth to save a couple pennies on, on every box. So what's next for Apple removing stuff? We had the Ooh. charger. We had the air tags. Mark Gurman, um, in in an episode with uh, MKBHD's Waveform podcast, he I don't think he was he was quoting anything official. Well, actually, no. In, in a recent report uh, talking about the iPhone, this year's iPhone, uh, he did say possibly the highest end model will not have a charging port. I, I believe it, especially with the launch. I mean, of I MagSafe. reported that last year, like midway through last year, that uh, one of the phones wouldn't have a port, uh, and I would I would assume. So I was told one model, but mm-hmm. because of the translation from Chinese, uh, I feel like they're referring to like the Max and the, like the Pro and the Pro Max. So I think the, mm-hmm. the Pro models count as one as one model. I don't think we'll have like a, I don't think the iPhone 12s Pro or iPhone 13 Pro will have a port, and then the Pro Max won't. If they get rid of the, if they get rid of the port, I would assume it's on both high end models or maybe just one. But um, that's definitely the next move. It it's slowly transitioning to completely portless. Obviously, MagSafe was like the first step in that direction, whether people realized it or not. Uh, that's that's definitely the next step for Apple is is removing the port and just going completely portless. So when you reported on the last year, whenever you reported on the port getting uh, removed, were you aware of MagSafe coming on with the iPhone 12, or was that sort of? Yeah. Uh, in fact, in an episode of Recycle Bin, my podcast, I think back in August last year, I could be wrong, August 2020, we did an episode where I answered a question about that, uh, about the portless iPhone. And I said the bridge between uh, the lightning port and a completely portless iPhone is something like MagSafe. Literally said the the, the term MagSafe. Um, so, I mean, I didn't... I was told it would that MagSafe would be implemented. I didn't know that it would be, you know, like that. I didn't know that, that we'd have a new MagSafe charger that slaps to the back of the phone. I thought, you know, when I w- when I heard MagSafe, you know, without seeing pictures or any or anything like that, my assumption was that there would be like a magnet the size of the lightning port on the bo- on the bottom of the phone. Yeah. Um obviously that's not what we got. MagSafe is like a big circle on the back, but uh, yeah, I said the transition between port and portless would be MagSafe. How would that even work with a portless iPhone? Because, I mean, people use their port on their iPhone for more than just charging. They use it for syncing. They use it for, you know, restoring things off of um, uh, their Mac. So, I mean, it seems mm-hmm. that once Apple gets rid of the port on the iPhone, they're also going to have to introduce some form of, of wireless tech on the Mac. Yeah, definitely. They'd have to... Apple would definitely have to... It's one of those things where they create a problem and then have to sell you the solution. Um, I mean, I'm not aware of how they how they could do that right now, um, but I'm assuming that they would have to answer those customers. Like, they couldn't just take it away and be like, uh, you can't do that anymore. I'm assuming they'll find some sort of solution to allow you to do that. I hope so. Because especially, I think, in, in the Bloomberg report, or um, I'm not sure where I read it, but it almost said that the MagSafe... Adapter on the new MacBook Pro will be sort of like the pill shape, old MacBook uh, or the old MagSafe charger that they used to have, the really uh-huh. skinny and short one. I feel like they might introduce some form of MagSafe that they currently have on the iPhone 12, circular mm-hmm. design, like because there was a bunch of patents recently by Apple in the past few months regarding being able to set your iPhone on the uh, the two sides next to the trackpad and have those wirelessly communicate with your phone. So, mm-hmm. yeah, on a MagSafe on the Mac, 
coming back, especially with all this talk about a portless iPhone, seems very, very interesting. And I think it'll be very telling what Apple does. Right. I'd be interested to see, like, if there was an area on your MacBook that was sort of like maybe next to the trackpad or something, even if you can't see it, uh, that is like that circular disc that mm-hmm. is the same on your iPhone, and that if you just set your phone there, it would it would sort of replicate the same thing you would get if you plugged it in. That seems possible. I think they would have to probably make the Mac bigger, though, in, unless the surface area for that charger is... Right. I forgot the trackpad is like a football field in length. You, in a few seconds ago, you said iPhone 12s and then iPhone 13. Which is it, yeah. John? Uh, it's an iPhone 12s. <laughs> but but I, I say iPhone 13 for the sake of... Uh, just for sort of separating it in the news. So purely for, you know, the audience right now, just to understand what the product is, mm-hmm. uh, when we get it, it'll be an iPhone 12 S, but iPhone 13 does better in headlines. You know what I mean? I can, as someone who writes headlines, I can yeah. fully testify. <laughs> it just, it, yeah, it does better. And people sort of 13 after 12, they just understand that that's, it's clear that that is the next iPhone. But when we get it, uh, it likely won't be called iPhone 13, and we'll probably never get an iPhone 13, I would imagine. Mostly due to the, um, the sort of connotation that it has in China being sort of like an unlucky number. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would imagine that they just sort of skipped 13. I was just about to say that. There's this superstition, even in elevators in China, there's no floor 13. Right, yeah, I would imagine that they, because China's a pretty big market for them, I would imagine they just sort of skip that number. Or they can name it iPhone 13 and then have a repeat of the Galaxy Note 7, have it start blowing up or just messing up somehow. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know their next move. uh, They could go from, this is not a leak, this is just a guess, uh, from iPhone 12s to just iPhone and sort of start to replicate the naming scheme for iPads, or it's just the new one? That would be so confusing. It would be, but the new iPads are so confusing too. They are, and I, I hate that about the iPod, the iPad lineup. Like, I, I was going shopping with my dad because he wanted a new iPad, and he was like, okay, what should I get? I was like, get the newest one, and he was like, okay, which one's that? And I, so- and I looked right. there at the table, and I'm like, um, I think this one... You don't one, have an answer. You don't know how to tell him. <laughs> I, 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 I really don't. It, it seems... Like the iPhone mini, iPhone, iPhone, iPhone Pro, iPhone Pro Max. I don't know. So with every S release of the iPhone, there's always a, a particular focus. It's either the camera, which Apple always focuses on the camera, but there's always seemed to be a specific sort of market or a specific feature that Apple markets the most for its S updates. Like the iPhone 5S, it was Touch ID. Um, It'll be Touch ID this year. So. Yeah. Are they going to get rid of Face ID too, or are they going to have both? No. So they'll have both, and and this works out for them. Uh, in two thousand, what was it, two thousand seventeen or eighteen, when they announced the iPhone ten? Seventeen, I believe so. Um, when they announced iPhone ten, the goal was always to have Touch ID and Face ID, but they couldn't get. And you can find patents that go way back, but they couldn't get Touch ID under the display at that time. Or if they could, it would just it just cost them too much. Um, so they couldn't do that. They released the phone, and at the event, they go all in on marketing, where they're like, we believe in Face ID so much that we got rid of Touch ID. We don't even need it, because Face ID is so secure and accurate. In reality, they wanted both. They couldn't do both. Now, they're going to put Touch ID back into the phone, because they can now. It's it, the, 
the cost works out, the tech works out, they can do it. And instead of having to go back on their marketing where they're like, you know, after they said that face ID was the future, so they don't need touch ID anymore. They don't have to admit that touch ID was always great. They're just going to say, you know, yeah, they're going to use the pandemic and then be like, we brought touch ID back so that you can use it with or without a mask. Um, and they'll pitch it like that. And of course, two bio-authentication methods will be great. Um, I'm excited to have touch ID back, especially under the display from what I, from what I know, um, it'll be pretty accurate from no matter where you, where you put your thumb, it'll be able to read your, your, your thumbprint or fingerprint, wherever, whatever finger you're using. But, um, I'm sure that'll be the focus this year will be, uh, touch ID for the 12 S. Will it be the whole screen? Um, yeah, from what I know, it's either half of the screen or all of it. I'm not sure which will be in the final release, but I know there's prototypes where the whole screen can read or just the the lower bottom half. I feel like I feel like Apple they don't need to. It'll work if if they have just a certain spot on the screen that you touch, mm. but knowing Apple, they'll want to just make it completely user-friendly and like foolproof. So the being able to touch anywhere on the screen would work. Yeah, because Samsung's implementation of it, you have to—it's like in this really small, little specific spot, and it's right. so tedious to try and actually get it on. So I hope they do the full screen. My next question is: Apple, a two trillion dollar company, why the hell can we not use Face ID with a mask? <laughs> well, so so if you think, I feel like I just watched this event back, maybe for a video or something that I was doing. One of the main pitches for Face ID was that it didn't work with a mask. Like, they would make masks. Do you remember that? On stage, they made... Like, they went to some Hollywood designer... And, and they had all masks. those weird faces on the screen. Yeah, they had actual masks yeah. made of, of people's faces, and it couldn't full Face ID. That was the whole point. I don't think they anticipated that, you know, in a few years, everyone would be wearing a mask that covered their face. So if you think about it, that's literally the opposite of what face ID is supposed to do. It's supposed to, it, you're not supposed to be able to use it with a mask. So the fact that half your face is covered, I feel like obviously face ID is not going to work. They could, I'm sure they could like re-engineer and rewrite software that, you know, works with your mask. I feel like their easiest solution is just to bring touch ID back and be like, Hey, we did it cause pandemic, here you go. And people will absolutely die for that i think people will sell their right. kidneys and legs for it um of course apple car project titan a lot of people have been very skeptical of it saying that it's not a market that apple would enter a part of me believes them another part of me feels like apple's really trying to be a part of every aspect of your life and i think the recent launch of apple fitness plus was kind of very telling of that because fitness is not usually what you think from or what you think about when you think of a big Silicon Tech Valley company. Um, mm -hmm. Apple Car sort of seems similar to that. So, John Prosser, is an Apple Car real? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely real. And the fact that they, they've sort of, they've siphoned a bunch of people over from Google, from Tesla. Um, they have a really large focus on it. Uh, and I don't, I'll tell you this. I don't see any reality where we don't get it. The soonest we'll get it is 2027. It's not like, it's not priority for them right now, but they, it's definitely 
a huge focus of their company. It's a, a lot of stuff. Like they never really stopped working on it. There, there were reports that um, it was sort of put on the put on the shelf for a while. But from what I know, they never actually stopped working on it. Like they have a team of like four hundred to six hundred engineers, where their full time job is to is to work on this project, and they have a lot of um, autonomous vehicles on the road. Uh, I think there's like 30 of them that are on the road that uh, are gathering information for this project. I don't know. I, f- I feel like that was reported before. I don't think I'm the first person to say that, but they have uh, they've ha- they have autonomous cars on the road. I think one was involved in a in an accident, um, not because of the fault of the vehicle, but I think. Uh, some like somebody driving a vehicle hit it, T-boned it, I think. And because of that, Apple had to admit that they had these cars on the road um, because there was a court case about it. But um, they never stopped working on it, and I would imagine that we would see it uh, in 2027. I don't think I don't think getting that car any earlier would happen. I don't think we're going to see it. I know there was reports about it coming out September next year. There's no way, absolutely no way that we'll get an Apple car next year or 2024 or 2025. I think 2027 into 2028 is when we'll finally see it. And um, it'll be really interesting to just not just to see the Apple car then, but just to see the car market as a whole when they enter it. Because, I mean, you can imagine by 2027, we can only imagine where Tesla's going to be and where all these mainstream manufacturers will be at that point. So I'd be interested to see Apple's pitch, like when they get into the market, how the how they claim they'll change it. So there was this report saying that we'll get a beta Apple car next year. Um, I'm not sure what the hell a beta Apple car means, but you don't say we'll get anything before 2027. Oh, I don't think so, no. So are you saying a consumer? As I think what a lot of people are skeptical about is... I, th- I think we can all get on the same page that Apple is researching uh, autonomous vehicles and researching that that area of, mm-hmm. of tech. I think Tim Cook even confirmed it himself that Apple's you know investing heavily in that. I think where a lot of the, the skepticism comes through is actually Apple releasing a product, a, an Apple car product that that you'll see on the road because Apple researches tech that they'll probably never use, but that they, they just research for right. you know just kind of sub notes or sub points so i think a lot of people are just they don't think we'll actually ever get a a consumer car from apple and there's so many questions to answer if we actually do like how would you how would you pick it up i mean you can't just walk into a store and you can but i mean will they deliver it to your house will tim cook come and knock the Mm -hmm. you know hang the keys on your door (laughs) you don't you pre-order it and it it arrives on launch day so there's so many questions to that but hey the the best part is that's not up to us to figure out. That's all Apple. They got to figure it out. But I would imagine we don't see anything remotely close to a vehicle until 2027. At least. Could be longer, but I don't see anything happening before that. I forgot. I think Ming-Chi Kuo, I forgot what he said. I think he said, I think he also said seven years. I think the early... He, originally, he said 2025, but then... I think last month he like updated his report and was like, yeah, never mind, <laughs> 2027. It seems there's a lot of conflicting um, reports about Apple Car. My next question: the priorities have just shifted. Like it, the it used to be like way up there, but then the pandemic happened and Apple had to sort of refocus and streamline their priorities because 
manufacturing just isn't as easy because there was lockdowns or, you know, timelines got all thrown off because people in China weren't able to work for like a month at a time. So all of their efforts, like especially last year, went into iPhone 12 because that had to go out. It was still delayed a month or two. And but as soon as people got back to work, everything went into that. They prioritized everything to try to make sure the key products get out. So products that are on the side, like an Apple car, Project Titan, um, definitely got pushed back a bit. Fast forwarding a little bit more to recent dates. You mentioned at the beginning of March event. You said March 16th. Yeah. What's going to be there? Because we're supposed to get an iPad. iPad, AirPods, AirTags, Mac. Is it just going to be one massive March event? where they'll release everything we've been hearing, or is it going to be a more one event focused towards one thing? Um, I mean, I'd imagine it's similar to the events that we've gotten. Uh, these sort of like hour long sort of streamlined events. Um, I think easier things, if they have to be released, will be done in a press release, like stuff that I'm like, I'm, I'm not saying this is not a leak. This is just, I'm just speculating that we would get something like the iPad in a press release because there's not much that you would need to say about it um, on stage at an event, whereas something like AirTags, they want to present to the media the way that only Apple could. They don't want to do it in a press release. They'd probably want to do it to where they could talk about but also visually demonstrate the use the use case for these things. Um, if so, I would imagine the the main product for that event the headliner would be um would be air tags when are we going to get so this march event i'm assuming will be virtual yeah when are we going to get the next in-person apple event oh i don't i don't think even i don't even think apple knows it from right now wwdc is scheduled to be virtual okay. um that i mean that could always change i guess but uh wwdc is such a large event where they invite you know oh, thousands of developers to come, and it's like a week long thing. It's not just a keynote. I think, you know, for most of us, we see the WWDC keynote and we think that's all that that's all that is. But WWDC is a week long event for developers to be there, um, and so right now, at least, that's scheduled to be virtual. I I think that Apple is just trying to play play this as safe as they can, um, and. As far as I know, Tim Cook, like on a regular basis, um, I was the one I reported like early, early March. I think that um, Apple, Tim Cook specifically, every single night was having a phone call meeting with um, with a doctor that was sort of helping them navigate uh, their next moves and especially how to work with Apple stores. So Tim Cook would have the meeting with the doctor at like 1130 at night and then at eight o'clock in the morning the next day would call um, Apple store managers and like relay the information and, and try to help everyone be as safe as possible. That's still happening. Um, so I think that, uh, right now Tim Cook has a lot of really great knowledge and he's just taking direction from healthcare professionals. He's not like trying to guess and just trying to, you know, do CEO stuff like say, I want a physical event just because I want it. He's listening to doctors. He's taking advice. Um, so as of right now, WWDC is scheduled to be virtual. Um, and I don't, I, I don't see a situation where this situation clears up enough to have thousands of people at, in Cupertino for WWDC. Speaking of WWDC, um, a lot of people want to know about iOS 15. 
Now, you reported early on um, last year before last year's uh, dub dub about iOS mm-hmm. 14. Um, and I think when we first met, that was when you were actually talking to us about things in regards to what, could, what we could expect from, from that keynote. What do you mm-hmm. know about iOS 15? Uh, yeah, not much, not much right now. There's not a lot uh, like finalized that I could go off of. Uh, when we get closer to June, I mean, there are things that I know that I'm just not comfortable enough stating because it's not close enough to release or finalized in software. Mm-hmm. And sites like Apple Track really make that hard. So I got to like be careful what I say. But um, it, when we get closer to June and there's more finalized details, I'll definitely I'll definitely share some of that stuff. But um, there's a, I will say this. A lot of the stuff that you heard rumored for iOS 14 that you didn't get uh, so I can just imagine everyone listening right now hurrying up and going to Google to look up like past <laughs> iPhone 14 rumors. Just go to Apple. Just go to Apple Terminal there and uh, look up the past articles for iOS 14. A lot of the stuff that was rumored that you didn't get in iOS 14 will be in iOS 15. It's like the same. It's it's the same focus uh, to try to get those features in the next version. So I think you you kind of segued right into the next part that I have. A lot of people have a really big misunderstanding about what you do as a leaker. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. sort of think, and I'll be honest, when we first met, I also had this perception that someone just sent you a message on Twitter. Yo, mm-hmm. I'm three rows down from Tim Cook's office. I heard him on a phone <laughs> call saying <laughs> the iPhone 12 right. will have a 60 hertz display instead of 120. I think a lot of people have a really big misconception about what you do. Because I know from talking to you that you, you put in so much work before you ever ever say anything i mean you go through such yeah. a, a rigorous process to not only you know verify the information also make sure that apple's not trying to to you know to catch you um with a, with a specific source you go through such a rigorous process can you just dispel that conception that people have and, and share what you actually do yeah so i mean early on um it was sort of when you're new to this and when you first start getting access to information, it is a lot like that where, you know, a stranger messages you um, and you sort of roll with that information. But as as you start to look be looked at as a trusted source um, and you do it more often, you start to build, like, I, I don't accept new sources at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I've limited a lot of the ways people can contact me. Like, I don't use WhatsApp anymore or Telegram. It's kind of just only signal or um maybe twitter dms but i don't even i don't really check my uh requested or my dm requests anymore um i work with uh a few sources that i really really trust and until like you know something happens to one of them or uh they don't you know want to disclose information anymore i don't really look for new sources um but early on that's what that's kind of what it was you know i just get a random message and and roll with that, but you soon learn that that's not the proper way to do it. And at first, you're just really excited to have information, you know, especially since uh, my my that's my job is like, you know, I report the news on YouTube. So if I don't have to just regurgitate a nine to five Mac article, and instead someone's giving me the news, and I can be the first one to report it, that's a really really big deal. So at first, that's sort of all it was. But 
Um, now I have a completely different, like really in-depth verification process. A lot of the sources that I talk to, it's even hard for us to connect. Like there's this one, the same person that uh, I got um, videos of AirPods Max from, same person that gave me AirTags. Uh, that person is so mysterious that, and we do a lot of work to make sure they're protected. Like, for example, uh, the, every time they contact me, they buy a new phone. What? Like they buy, yeah, and they don't use an iPhone. They buy a completely new Android device to send me messages. And then when the, once the threat is over, they throw the phone away. That's how secure it is. And um, I don't have this source. I don't, because they are, they're always changing phones, I don't have any way to contact them. Like if I have a question for them, I can't send them a message right now because we don't have that sort of contact. That contact. If you look on Twitter, there are some times where I will tweet just an emoji. Mm -hmm. That's actually like a secret code. It's like a bat. It's like a bat <laughs> signal. And when I when I tweet that emoji, the source reaches out to me. That is a fact. A fun fact I've never mentioned anywhere. Um, it's actually not for the public. It's not a tweet for people to like. Oh no! What do you see? What is what's an example what, of a tweet? You, what what's an example of an emoji you've put out? Because I know you you used to um, use toilet paper which was sort of more of like a credibility uh, yeah, so thing. A, a couple weeks ago, before I, it was right before I released the real video of AirTags, um, I tweeted out like the, the shocked face, like the really big eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was just that. That was actually like one of those secret signals for the source to reach out to me um, because they follow me on Twitter. I don't know which account they have or which account is them, but um, that's sort of how we get in contact. If I need something or want to run something by them or, or anything like that, I'll send out like a little bat signal on Twitter and then they'll, they'll get a different Android device, switch a number and contact me. Is Apple really that, does Apple really crack down that much on sources oh, that yeah. they have to, so that someone has to buy a new phone? It's especially, um, especially for people in China, which is where a lot of the sources are. Things are really, really strict there, um, not just from Apple, but, you know, just from the government mm -hmm. in general and the sort of laws that would that would be on them if they if they were caught. But it's also really important because, unfortunately, when a source is leaking information, they aren't the only ones that will be held responsible. If they're caught, it's usually an entire team that gets uh, that gets fired because. Apple doesn't know. It, Apple basically assumes if if a leak comes from this team, this one person's probably not the only one that is giving the information. And a lot of the times, they'll Apple will be able to identify the team that the information came from, but not the person. And instead of like putting the time and effort in to investigate it and everyone. find the one single person, yeah, they, if it's a team of like you know ten people, all ten people will be gone. That is insane. Like I knew Apple was was, yeah. was secretive, but going out and buying a new phone like people are actually putting in money oh yeah there's an entire security team that this is it's all they do is just track down leakers wow and i'm sure you're on top of their hit list well the issue with me is i'm in the u.s so i have freedom of the press mm -hmm. but a lot of people like ben geskin is a good example um he doesn't leak apple stuff anymore because he's legally not allowed to um mm. so uh, he I know he used to leak Apple stuff in the past, uh, but they they sent him uh, a nice cease and desist and threatened him legally from what I remember. And so 
uh, because he's not in the U.S. and because he's not protected by things like freedom of the press, he literally cannot do have it. you gotten reached out by Apple? Yeah. And have they requested you take things down and you've rejected? I haven't really replied, but... Uh, Fair enough. I got in trouble for um, publishing a keynote last year where uh, they asked me to take it down. Um, other than that, though, they haven't they haven't reached out and tried to start a conversation with me or like or anything like that. I wish I wish they'd be like, "Hey, uh, we'll pay you this much money if you stop leaking." How much would they, they have to pay that. you? Oh, a lot, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, they have to pay me a lot because this is my living. Like you know, leaking leaking stuff is has been so beneficial to my career, and I make so much, you know, from the headlines and being in the news that they'd have to, you know, they'd have to double that or triple that for me to stop. You made a video, um, I think two months ago titled how John Prosser ruined Apple leaks. Um, yeah, that was a very interesting, that was a very interesting video and it was a very interesting take. I think a lot of people don't understand. And I think you highlighted it pretty well just now when, when you leak something or when, when any leaker legitimate leaker leaks something, it's not, I mean, you're, there's someone else putting much more on the line than yeah. just you. Like, I think a lot of people associate leaks with, with you and, and with your name, but I think yeah. a lot of times the, the actual source giving that information really gets swept under the, the carpet because people just don't realize that when you tweet something, you, you know, you are in essence putting someone's livelihood not in jeopardy, but because you, you go through ways to make sure that they don't get caught. But I think a lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize that there's there's real people who could get in a lot of trouble for things that are leaked. Right. Um, well, that's that's the that's the thing. And I'm really I'm really conscious about that because I know for me, I don't know how other leakers do it, but I know for me and my sources if like an article comes out about uh, like on Forbes featuring me about a leak I put out, I will like, I'll send that stuff to the source that gave it to me. Um, just so they, they know it was them, you know, my name is in the article, but you know, behind my name is like this team of other people that are giving up the information. And, um, I think that's, I think that's why a lot of these sources choose to work with me because, they're, you know, they're fans of the show. They like the way I deliver information and uh, they like that they get to sort of control the news cycle. That's I think that's the the play for a lot of these people is they know that, you know, they give me information and, you know, tomorrow all of the news will be about that. And I think that's really cool for them. Um, but on the on the surface from the readers or the listeners, the viewers, yeah, they just see. They just see my name. They don't see the work that went into it, and they definitely don't see, you know, the the stranger that is actually working for this company and putting everything on the line to get the information out there. The least I can do is make sure that they're protected. And like, there's a lot of stuff that I know that I can't say, or a lot of footage, a lot of footage that I have, or pictures that I have that can't be shared because it gives up, you know, the people that gave it to me. And there's been people in the past that have leaked pictures and videos of stuff. AirPods Max is a good example um, that got a lot of people in trouble that shouldn't have been out. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I hold on to and you just have to be very aware of, you know, 
the risks involved in this is as much as like, you know, if I have a video of something that would really do well for me in terms of views or in my career, um, I, you know, no matter how great of a benefit that might be for me, it would never be worth jeopardizing somebody else's livelihood, their job and the livelihood of their, of their family really. Cause they're bringing, they're bringing food home for the family. So, um, there's a lot of stuff that I, I think is, not considered from a viewer perspective. Um, Apple Glass is a really good example. For, uh, to this day, you know, people ask me about my Apple Glass video or why I haven't put that out. And it's one of those early mistakes that I made where, you know, I have this video of Apple Glass. I think I'm going to be able to release it, but it just in no way, shape, or form is it safe to release. And I think the viewers get caught up in a lot of that. For them, they just want the news. They want to see the new cool thing, and they don't actually understand just how big of a risk it is for people on the other end that are you know jeopardizing their job do you take some form of responsibility for that sort of people just wanting the information without thinking about the 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 people behind your name because i feel and i think you talked about it in that video about uh, how you you ruin apple leaks where you've very much blurred the line between entertainment and and, yeah. and journalism and and leaking do you take some form of responsibility for that in terms of you make leaking look fun to where people just think that it's easy to put things out and mm -hmm. there's just really no consideration for anything else besides, Oh, this is fun. This is cool. I'm going to move on with my day. Um, I don't, I don't take responsibility as in it's a negative thing. I think for the viewers, that's what I want to portray. I want to portray it like it's fun and entertaining and I want to be the one that worries about the dangers and the risks of it. And that, you know, that part is on me in terms of the viewers and the audience. I want them to have fun. That's the whole point. That's what I've been doing all along since before I started leaking stuff. And it's what I want to do when I do leak stuff. I don't want them to have, I don't want the, the viewers to have any worries. I want them to be able to get the news and get it in a fun way, something that they look forward to. And then all the risks and the worry falls on me. And I do that, you know, on my own time to protect the sources and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I just want to put on a good show for the audience. And whether that's on Twitter or on YouTube, I want to present the news in a way that they remember it. And like, I, I know for years, people will be able to look back and remember how fun the iPhone SE leaks were. Um, you know, the, the rivalry with me and 9to5Mac and that sort of stuff. That's, that's what I'm really proud of. And... Um, I will, that's my, that's one of my biggest priorities always. My first priority is to protect the source, but my second one is to just make people laugh and put on a good show. Unfortunately, uh, that painted a picture for a lot of people that like anyone can leak stuff and now you just have a bunch of fake leakers that are only doing the entertainment part and actually have no real information. So yeah, I was about to bring up that. Um, I'm not sure if you know, but there's quite a few accounts on Twitter that, um, <laughs> Or maybe just one. I'm not sure if you've seen them or have heard of them. Um, right. Why do people? I, I don't want to even call them fake leakers. They're they're not fake leakers. They're they're legitimate jokes. Why do people believe them? I, I mean, they say the most crazy things. It just it doesn't make sense. And then you have some mainstream publications that actually believe the shit. Right. Why do you think um, there's this, there's this, why do you think, not why people make those fake accounts, why do people listen to them and actually believe them? 
Well, because it's what they it's what we want. Like especially this demographic, we want to hear news before it's you know before it's real. We want it. We want behind the scenes stuff. We want leaked stuff. Uh, and so the best part about leaks is you don't know if it's true or not until a product releases. And that's the tough part. A lot of these leakers have literally never gotten anything right and people still believe them. And a lot of that is controlled. Like one of the, one of the main fake leak accounts right now, who I'm not going to mention, but everyone would know, (laughs) um, they block all of the accounts that question them. So when you look at the tweets, like if you're just a regular person, you know, that's seeing this tweet and you look at the replies, it looks legitimate because the people that would criticize them or call them out can't see the tweet and they're blocked from replying. So it just like it's a it just constantly feeds the machine. Um, they're made to look le- legit and they're not. And no one will ever know the truth until the product comes out or not. And even then, like this, this the whole Apple TV thing. They got that immediately wrong. And then, you know, every tweet after that, people are still like believing it and jumping on it. Like that was the one leak they supposedly had that was only them saying it. That if it was right, if it was true and an Apple TV came out, they would have been we would have been like, oh my God, they're a legitimate person. They're the only ones reporting that. But it didn't happen. They were the only ones reporting it. It didn't happen. For me, that should have been a red flag. That's the telltale sign. That should have been it. We should have been like, okay, I get it now and walk away. But it doesn't happen. And I don't understand why. I don't know if it's because the followers are like young kids or or what. I be, Because these people say what you want to hear. And so you retweet it. You, you like it. Um, but just because it's what you want to hear doesn't make it true. And it just like, it's... It's crazy how long these people can like put on the charade and now they're selling stuff like selling products that they buy from Alibaba or whatever and drop shipping stuff and making money. They've never gotten a leak right. It's crazy. But somehow they're still like lying to followers and selling stuff to them. What do you think will stop them? I want to I, I if you would have asked me last month I would have said getting a leak wrong. Well, that's out the window. Yeah, but that didn't work. The Apple TV thing, for some reason, it didn't. It, I hope that that would work. To this day, you know, I see stuff and I don't understand how people believe it anymore, especially when not one thing has come true, unless you repeated it from somebody else. What makes a leak fake? Obviously, it not being true, but is it is it not true because the, the person behind the account received a message from someone who's claiming to be within Apple that's not actually within Apple? Or is it possible that one source within one department is just simply out of the loop with a source in another department. So that's where... That's completely possible, but the difference is when everything you put out is wrong. So, I mean, if you if you have a few, you know, legit sources and you get some information from one source that doesn't come true, okay, fine. But if literally everything... And most of the stuff, half the stuff that is put out is like completely obviously fake like it's either obviously a guess or just obviously completely fake and that's i think that's the biggest differentiator the the difference between fake and not is a track record and when you have no track record and everything is wrong then it's just lying it's just complete outright outright lying i took so i took a screenshot the other day this account posted that let's see 
I think I haven't. I I've been sent uh, saving screenshots of stuff before they block you. Oh, I don't. They won't block me. So where the hell is this? Um, they tweeted something like, uh, "I was to- I was told that next year's iPhone won't be called iPhone 13." Okay, so there's an error in that. The, he directly quoted a source, supposedly. But there's an error in that because next year is 2023. Or no, 2022. So you, I see what you're so, saying. So he, re, so he replied, whoops, I meant this source sent this last year. He meant this year, 2021, which is fine. But <laughs> I have a screenshot of the same error made by the same Twitter account from like a few weeks ago. So they supposedly have, um, you know, they have quoted a direct source when mysteriously that source also talks the same way you talk and makes the same errors that you make. Mm -hmm. So there's just, there's obvious stuff that points it out that is just so obviously fake and people, I don't know if people easily forget or they're not keeping track or what, but to complete, and, and it's completely anonymous. Like these people aren't using their real names. There's no risk. And once people are done with this just account forget about it. and over it, they'll just make another account. They'll just drop it and make another account. I think a lot of the leakers, specifically the one that we've been indirectly uh, talking about, I think they'll listen to this and they'll be like, well, you have to get a few things wrong before you can get things right. No, that's not, that, no, that's not true. You can't get a few things wrong before you get things right. You're either get, you can get things wrong, but it has to be like parallel to getting things right. No, it's not like riding a bike where you'll fall down at first and then you learn how to ride it. You're, you either have a good source or you do not. You don't learn how to leak better. It's either people are giving you information that is true or people are giving you information that is fake or nobody's giving you anything at all and you're just saying random stuff that nobody's telling you and you're just guessing. I feel like there's no there's no like training wheels when it comes to leaking. You don't start out getting things wrong. If you start out getting things wrong, then you're not leaking anything. You're just saying wrong stuff. <laughs> That's it. You're just saying anything that anybody could say or guessing or whatever. There's no like it's not something that you learn and then you start to get things right. Either someone is legit or someone is not. What do you think the role is from the media? Because I think the media plays a huge role in this. Oh. There have been some really, some shockingly large outlets that have reported on the BS that some of the other, those accounts are saying. What does it say for an outlet to report such nonsense? Well, it's tough because, especially in a slow news season, these websites rely on clicks and advertising and... So in a way, I sympathize with that, you know, that they they have to cover something to get an article out, even if they know it's not true, because it'll get clicks and that's what they need. They need clicks for the ad dollars to get paid and put food on the table. So I get it. But at a higher level, especially at these bigger sites, like even if someone's going to write the article and put it out, okay, I get why they wrote it. But someone higher up, like an editor or something should be able to stop it for the sake of the credibility of the outlet. I feel like that's just, it's necessary. And I feel like half the people that are writing about this stuff, they know it's fake, but they're writing about it for the same reason the person typed it and leaked it, quote unquote, leaked it, because even though they know it's wrong, 
because they know it garners attention and they know it'll get clicks. So for the same reason the person put the tweet out, you know, people write an article about it because, you know, they need the clicks. Unfortunately, there's not a there's not a lot of outlets or a lot of people at these other outlets that are reporting this stuff that will actually want to hold their credibility to a higher standard and not report this stuff. I've seen very few outlets, number one, ignore it or retract it. Like, I know you guys at Apple Terminal a lot. I've seen tweets and statements from you guys where you're like, hey, we've covered this person in the past. We've learned a lot more about this person. We're not, we've deleted those reports and we're not going to mention them Mm -hmm. ever again. That I wish more outlets were like that. If they weren't like that, I wish they just wouldn't report it at all. But for the same reason that people are putting out fake leaks, you know, just for the clicks and the attention, the, that's the reason these news outlets are, are writing the articles. Yeah, good, a shameless plug for us there. <laughs> no, but I think it yep. really is <laughs> telling because, I, well, I agree that some outlets have to, you know, rely on those those really clickbaity, clickbaity articles. And I think one thing that I've learned is that if something is too good to be true, it's likely not true. And right. a lot of times you see these articles with, you know, headlines, AirPods Max Sports to come in, I don't know, X colors and cost 50% or $50 less than the current AirPods Max. It, it's just, it's as you said, it's literally just there to, to garner attention. My last question to you is if you were to say one thing to the people who are making these accounts and the people who are who are faking all this stuff, what would that one message be? Oh, that's tough. Yeah. Um, I feel like deep down, they all know the end result. Like there's only one way it ends and it's like just embarrassment <laughs> and shame. Um, I feel like deep down, they know that. So I would say if, if you're one of the fake accounts right now, either one stop what you're not going to do. So the next thing I would recommend, number two, is actually refine your process. And if you want to do this, take it seriously, work with valid, legit sources, verify them. And I mean, especially since, you know, through the fake leaks, you've gotten X amount of followers from it. Uh, You have somewhat of a, a platform, even a small one. If you want to do it, do it the right way, find legit sources, talk to them and put out good information. That's it. So either I, I, I mean, I want you to quit, but you're not going to quit. <laughs> so the next piece of advice is just do it credibly. Find and refine your process if you actually want to do this and do it the if right way. If one of these accounts did start to, to push out accurate things, would you then support them? No. Um, even if they started I mean, putting out correct information that you, you even, hypothetically, that you even yourself can confirm? No, uh, just because of uh, the bad impression I have of them from, you know, the months of just fake stuff and like how they developed their platform in the first place. I'd say at first when I had questions, like when I was like, okay, that's fake. Okay, maybe that's real. When it wasn't, compl- when I wasn't 100% sure that they were lying, I would root for them and be like, listen, I, you know, I hope, I hope that you land a couple. I hope you have real legit sources because if this is completely fake, then that's just sad. And so I would root for them and hope the best, but when they prove that none of it's real, no. It, there's, there's a saying that once you lose respect for somebody, you can never get it back. And that's sort of how I feel about this. Like, 
once I know you're fake, and once you've proven that you've just been lying to people for all this time, uh, you will never gain respect from me back. No matter if you, you know, if you start leaking accurate information, it just it's fine if you start leaking for real eventually, but I'll never forget the impression that you left, you know, when I realized that you were lying about everything. There you go. That was our interview with the one and only John Prosser. Hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for more episodes of the 941 podcast. <laughs>